It's good to see all you can have a seat. Unless you want to stay standing. Should I start this timer now, Pat? You know what it means when a preacher has a clock before him? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. As, a, as Pat said, we actually do go way back, way back to the uh, old Modesto days and uh, a lot of good times there, a lot of good times on staff together. Um, we're kind of partners in crime sometimes. We got in a little bit of trouble, not, not too much. Um, I've been married for 26 years. My wife, Deborah, is here, and, and uh, one of our daughters is here as well. We're expecting a, a grandson in about two weeks, um, and it just dawned on me that her birth, her birth date, yeah, the baby's birth date is June 23rd, and that was 30 years ago on June 23rd that I first went into the military in 1982, so I went in when I was 12, so I'm not as old as, I'm not as, old as, you, as you think I am. As, as uh, Pat also mentioned, um, I am a chaplain. I am an army chaplain, and, and uh, have been been doing that for about six years now. And and if you could pray for the ministry, there's a there's a um, it's a really a multi layered ministry. One of my primary duties is to protect the religious rights of the soldiers, regardless of what their religious faith may be. Um, but then I'm also called to be a pastor of whatever my endorsing agent is, which is Calvary Chapel. So I'm called to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. To those troops as well, and uh, that means for my Bible studies, for my chapel services, for my counseling, for my prayer. Regardless of what you hear in the press, I'm completely unhindered and uninhibited in what I do, and how I do that. And very fortunate, the Constitution protects my right to do that. Um, very, as I said, a very diverse ministry. Very difficult times now. We've been at war for longer than we've ever been in war before and uh, facing some difficulties with families uh, being separated as deployment takes place. Real difficulties readjusting when they come back. And um, not, I'm not trying to bring a downer on anything, but uh, just this past week we realized that we'd hit another record in suicide rates as soldiers are returning. And so highest suicide rates that we've ever had in the Army ever for any war at this point um, due to separation, due to readjustment, due to post-traumatic stress disorder, injuries, things of that nature. Uh, it's a lot bigger challenge than, than people think sometimes, and even, even sometimes for me, I have to get my hands around exactly what they face on a daily basis. And um, if you could continue to pray for me and my ministry, but if you could also continue to pray for the soldiers, airmen, marines, and, and, and sailors that are continually still deploying, there's always going to be something going on around the world at some point. Uh, but if you could if you could lift them up and, and keep them lift up, I would lift up. I would be greatly greatly appreciative of that. Um, if you could please, we'll stand again together and, and turn to uh, Colossians chapter two. If you could go ahead and stand, and we'll we'll read from God's word. Colossians Colossians chapter two. We'll be reading verses six through ten. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word, the majesty of your word, the beauty of it. And we pray that as we study this passage this morning, we pray that you'd bless us with your presence, draw us near to you, and, and help us to understand, Lord, your plan and purpose for us and what this all means to us, Lord. We need, we need application. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. Meet us here, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Paul, the Apostle Paul, originally wrote this epistle to the Colossian church around 60 AD while he was imprisoned in Rome. And he wrote to the church, as he often did with other churches, to correct heretical teachings or any philosophies that were coming through the church at that time. And he did so, he spoke to those heretical teachings by firmly, firmly establishing the truth of the gospel. He didn't enter into any philosophical discussions per se. He didn't get off on some tangent somewhere or, or argue a, a mute point, but he always addressed issues by establishing the basic elements of the Christian faith instead of, instead of engaging in, in uh, uh, all the discussions he could have. He just grounded himself in one thing, and that was the truth of the gospel. And Paul, as he reinforced the foundations, the lessons, the lessons in 60 AD of how he handles that is so pertinent for today as well. As we focus on how to reach the world and how to communicate with our neighbors and communicate with family members, maybe they aren't believers. They have a lot of different ideas and a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different philosophies. The best thing we can do is do exactly as Paul did and go right back to God's word on all of it. The two foundational truths that Paul reinforced <clears throat> were the deity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. It would have been enough, you know, for me, I read it sometimes and I'm blown away by, by the words that are used. It would have been enough for him to say, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But instead, he spoke by the Spirit and, and said, in him dwells all the fullness, all the completeness everything that God is, Jesus is. And as I read that and as I meditate upon that, it, it really is, it's, it's mind-blowing to me, the words that are used. But Paul uses it to make a very good point, reinforcing what he was already speaking in chapter 1 regarding the deity of Christ, but also reinforcing why that doctrine is critical. And in, and in addressing that, refuting the doctrine of Gnosticism, which was prevalent at that time. And then for, but for our purpose today, the Apostle Paul declares in, in verse 10 that the believers in the Colossians church, those who had received Christ as their Lord and Savior, are complete. Looking at the, looking at the deity of Christ, that's a, it's an amazing subject. But the thing I really want to focus on this morning is that last verse, verse 10. That's, we know all of this about Christ, and now, now the Apostle Paul is speaking by the Spirit and saying that we are complete in the fullness of him. Anyone who trusts Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and makes him their Lord is complete in him. I've always been blessed and at the same time mind-blown by the verse because when we think about it, our Heavenly Father, in His amazing love for us, has chosen not to hold anything back from us. Unlike, unlike an earthly father who may withhold good things sometimes, our Heavenly Father does not. He's chosen not to leave us fractured, not to leave us damaged, or in an otherwise incomplete condition. 
Rather, he's chosen that as we yield to him by faith, he makes us complete in Christ, and he makes us complete through Christ. And three, three quick points that we'll be looking at related to that is, what does it mean to be complete? What does it not mean to be complete? And why is that important? The dictionary definition of complete is this. Having all parts or elements, lacking nothing, whole, entire, full, having all required characteristics and skills, thorough, entire, total, undivided, uncompromised, unmodified. Vernon McGee, the great uh, uh, preacher from, from way back, it's hard to believe he's been gone for so many years, but you know, he's still so, his radio program still, still sounds around the world, and you know, I still refer to his commentaries so often. He referred uh, to the word complete as being a nautical term, being kind of a Navy term, and being an old Navy guy from, uh, from years back, those things, when I hear nautical, I kind of it get sweaty palms and it kind of appeals to me. But he mentioned it as being, and maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, I don't know. But he referred to it as being a nautical term in that it's a term used when a ship is ready for a long journey. Once the sails have been tested on the old sailing ships, once the rudders have been tested, once sufficient personnel and provisions were on board, the ship is foundationally ready to go, ready for the journey. And as McGee put it, being complete for the believer means that we are also ready for the voyage. So we're a complete package that's ready to head out into whatever God has for us. And as, as the ship goes, it's a complete package waiting for uh, striking the course of that journey and, and, hitting and, and heading into whatever may come after that. And as mentioned, being a nautical term and being ready, it does not mean that the voyage is complete. Likewise, as we are complete in Christ, it doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that our voyage is complete either. It does not mean that the destination has been reached. Simply put, complete means that we have everything we need foundationally to be fruitful on our walk with him so that we may be fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means for a Christian to be complete. Journey is not complete. Long way to go for many of us. A lot of trials to hit, a lot of storms to hit. But as, we, as the ship sets sail and as we embark on the journey that God has for us, we know that he's with us. We know that he's with us wherever we go. And we know that as we're born again, we're this complete package that's ready to head out into whatever he has planned for us. As we, as we step out in faith in Christ, we know there's going to be some decisions to be made. We know there's going to be challenges to be faced. We know there's going to be course corrections that, that need to help us stay on track. Years ago, I remember we were uh, 
sailing through the Aleutian Islands, and we were the first aircraft carrier to ever go into the Bering Sea. And so many times a, a, a nautical plot or map hadn't been completely made for the Navy at that time. And we got to a point in our voyage where, so if, if you've ever seen um, whatever that crab fishing show that is on TV, that's basically what the Bering Sea looks like all the time. I think somebody just said it. Deadliest, deadliest catch. <laughs> but that's basically what the Bering Sea looks like all the time. One of our navigators, young lieutenant, was up on the bridge and, and he, saw, he saw some kind of something out in the fog and the, and the wind and the rain and didn't know exactly what it was. And he just kind of panicked. He's like, it's not on the map. It's not on the map. What do I do? And our skipper, who'd been a skipper for, since back when ships were made of wood, said to him, said to him, well, son, we have two choices. We can either go over it or we can go around it. We're a 90,000 pound, pound, we're 90,000 pound, uh, uh, or excuse me, 90,000 ton aircraft carrier. We can't go over it. So we need to go around it. In the army, kind of the same story now that I'm an army chaplain. Uh, we were just out in the Mojave Desert for, for three weeks on a little soiree out there. That was, uh, it was quite the hoot. With the Army, it's a little bit different. They don't call them mountains mountains. They call them terrain features. It makes them sound a little nicer. <laughs> and the choice comes to either go around it or go over it. What do you think we choose? Let's go over it. It's a shorter distance. It's just how the way you see it. You don't call it a mountain. You call it a terrain feature. As we travel on this journey with the Lord... As we travel in the Bering Sea years ago, and as ships travel even, even still today, we know we're going to hit the storms. Being complete in, the, in, in Christ doesn't mean that we're not going to hit any storms. We surely will. Sometimes for my wife and I, it's funny because, you know, again, I said we've been married 26 years, and we have three daughters that are absolutely amazing and have an amazing son-in-law. We're very, very blessed and sometimes folks will look at our lives from the outside and, and they think, oh my goodness, you just a perfect marriage and everything always goes right for y'all and y'all always have everything you need. And man, it's just like watching a Disney princess movie or something like that, you know. And uh, we'll just kind of look at each other like, and they really, they really don't know us at all. Because there's times, as I'm sure that you can attest in your life, and even in your, you know, I'm not trying to get too personal, but I'm assuming all marriages are the same, right? And in which we have some iron sharpening iron. It happens. It happens. It's a part of life. And in our families, it's a part of life. The storms come and go. But a lot of times, again, people will think that, um, I'm not sure exactly what they think. I'm like, if there was hidden cameras in our home, you know, there'd be, be a great <laughs> reality TV show. Not really, but, you know. I actually live a pretty simple, pretty boring life in some ways. But for us, as we look back, we realize that we are incredibly blessed. The Lord is incredibly good, and he has thoroughly equipped us and, and thoroughly put us together to do exactly what he wants us to do. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be a bowl of cherries all the time. I, I, would, I would probably, I'd hasten to say probably these last five years of our lives have probably been five of the most difficult years that we've ever faced due to, because of a lot of different things. And 
and I, and I only share that and I only, I only say that to you as an encouragement to say that we are complete in Christ, but there are going to be some trials and there are going to be some temptations that we face and there are going to be some things that come along that try to sweep us, not sweep us off our feet, but pull the carpet out from under us, try to blindside us, try to gut punch us, to try to, not make, us, to, try to make us not trust in the Lord, those kinds of things. It's going to happen. It's going to happen sometimes. We know that. I mean, I'm kind of speaking to the choir. You guys know that as well as I do. But we can rest in the fact that deep down inside of us, there's this abiding peace and this abiding hope and this abiding joy that only comes from the Lord. That's how he's made us, and that's what he's made us for. So even though we are complete, doesn't mean the journey is complete, doesn't mean we're a finished work, but we continue to forge on in what God has for us. One commentator put it this way, In Christ the Colossians have put off the power of sin and of the flesh and have received a new life, have been forgiven, have been delivered from the requirements laid down by human traditions, and have been freed from the power of false teaching. Those are all true and and very awesome things, but it didn't mean that the church was going to be immune from difficulties. It didn't mean families and individuals were going to be immune from difficulties. Because Christ spoke, because Christ spoke to the disciples before his betrayal, and he said in in, uh, John chapter 16, Indeed, the hour is coming, and yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That verse is always, the last part of that verse has always just mystified me. I thought, why would he tell us something like that? It kind of disturbs me sometimes, actually. Why do you tell us those things? You're just being up front with us and saying, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you you might face trials. I'm not saying that you might face difficulties on this journey with me. I'm telling you that you will. I'm telling you that you will. But at the end of the day, you can lay your head on the pillow and rest in, in, in a peaceful state, realizing that he's already overcome all of that. And what's true for the church then and what was true for the disciples as Jesus spoke to them, in, spoke to them then is still true for us today still true for us today a complete work not quite done complete means we're ready to go ready to go out of the box right at the starting line on the journey complete doesn't mean the journey's done could be tomorrow that we're done could be next week could be next year who knows only god knows that but for us to continue to abide in him recognize who we are in him recognize what he's called us to and continue to forge on those are the most important things that we need to keep in mind so we've seen what it means to be complete and we've kind of seen what it what it means to what it doesn't mean to be complete and now we'll look at our last point why does it why is it important for us to be complete and this is probably going to sound super obvious and you know Obviously, you know, it's, it's kind of in the vernacular. It's, it's a, a no-brainer. But I tell you, I have to be reminded. I have to be reminded constantly 
of certain things. I have a, um, a great deal of education. I, I, my full-time job is at um, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory working in radiation safety. Um, have my training on the theology side of things, and so you know, sometimes people come to me and think I know a lot and I never worry about things and I'm never stressed out because I have all this knowledge. It really doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't mean anything, honestly. And so sometimes the obvious things escape me. So I need to be reminded sometimes of things that just make so much sense, that make so much sense for all of us. And the obvious thing, and the obvious thing that I'm speaking of is that being complete in Christ is the key to a couple of different things. Our progress in him and our progress for him. Again, it sounds super obvious, right? But I have to verbalize that to myself almost on a daily basis and realize that I can't do what I do anywhere in my family or in, or in my job or in the army or anywhere, anywhere, doing anything. Anytime I come in contact with anyone, I'm of absolutely no use for the kingdom of God if I'm not complete in him. So I have to remind myself I need to stay current in his word. I need to stay in prayer. I need to stay in fellowship. I need to be in a Bible teaching church as you all are so that we're all learning and growing. And if we're not complete in him, we're not going to make any progress with him personally, the vertical relationship. We're not going to make any progress on a horizontal basis with everybody else for him in the world as we reach out to our neighbors and as a Pastor Pat talking about the VBS coming up. I'm like, oh my word, VBSs are, you know, sometimes, I'm not saying that you do, but sometimes people think of VBS and they think, oh, you know, it's a time when kids just get babysat and they get to run around and go nuts and get filled full of Kool-Aid and then you send them home and they're bouncing off the walls for two or three hours afterwards or something. But is anybody in here serving in VBS? See a lot of nodding heads and raised hands. I'm telling you, and again, this may be me being Captain Obvious once again. You probably already know this. But I'm telling you that the way, the way our family and the way I have always seen a VBS is, is the, you know, the preparation leading up to Vacation Bible School. I'm sure you've hit the warfare to some extent. You're all smiling, laughing like, oh, you know it. Where computers break, printers break. The kids are getting on our nerves. Our husband or our wife is getting on our nerves. Just all these bizarre things begin to happen in the spiritual realm. You're like, it's just a VBS. Why are we getting gut punched almost on a daily basis? I'm telling you again, the way, the way I see VBS is, is VBS is, is it's a short-term mission trip. It's a mission trip right in your own community. And I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but I just had to say it right in your own community. And so, and so the warfare that you would hit preparing to go to Costa Rica or Russia or, or, you know, wherever else, you know, the warfare we used to hit planning short-term mission trips and getting ready to go, it's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy, you know. But really, VBS is, is much the same thing. Those little lives, those little lives that you have the opportunity to speak into, Satan doesn't want it, and so he's going to do anything to confuse you, distract you, make you think you're worthless, make you think you can't sing, make you think you can't teach make you think we can't do it without shade in Woodward Park, which there's absolutely no shade in Woodward Park, by the way. They're absolutely right. We played some soccer tournaments out there. It's brutal. So VBS, I'm excited about that for y'all. 
It's a wonderful thing. Ours at, uh, at uh, Calvary Modesto would be in July. And it's a big thing. It's a big thing. And I, would, I just really want to encourage you in that. I think that's why I paused for that. Because I think they're amazing, but I also want to encourage you in that. Stay rooted in the Lord. Stay in prayer this week. We'll definitely be praying for you. Get the word out. Lives will be touched and reached, and, and kids will be saved. Kids will be saved. And I'm telling you, there's going to be some things that they may not even think about it or remember for another 20 years. And they'll remember, oh, I remember Miss Tracy, or I remember Mr. Daniel teaching me that about God's word. Awesome thing. But Paul declared by the Holy Spirit in the verses there in Colossians that we read that you have received Christ. Walk in him. Become rooted in him. Built up in him. Established in the faith. As you have been taught, abound in it. Pretty amazing words. Pretty amazing words there. And they all signify progress. They all mean progress. Not a one-time thing, but a progress, a moving forward. Paul reminded the church that this is all possible because we are complete. We can receive, we can walk, we can be rooted, we can be built up, we can be established, and we can abound. Because by his Holy Spirit we have the power to do so. There can be no progression, no success, no walking, no being rooted, no being built up no establishing, and no abounding apart from our deepest spiritual need, which is to know him as our Lord and Savior. And without him, we'll be like a cork bobbing around in a, in a stormy sea, just no bearings, no rudder, no propulsion, no direction, no nothing. So we have to stay close. We have to stay close. And to get through this storm, there must be progress. And to progress, we must be fully prepared by him. So continue to lean on him. Continue to rest in him. And again, as I'm saying this, I'm reminding myself too. So I'm not trying to preach down to anybody here. Believe me. Believe me. We're all in the same boat, so to speak. And the only way to keep from being hijacked by the philosophy of the world or the empty deceit or the useless traditions that Paul mentioned is to be complete in him. Because there's a lot of philosophy, a lot of isms, a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of the other thing. We hear it all the time. We see it on TV. We hear it on the radio, this, that, and the other thing. And some of it actually sounds like it kind of makes sense. But if it doesn't line up with God's word, you've got to stay away from it. The way to combat those things is to keep in prayer keeping God's word and depend on the Holy Spirit to show us what the truth is. It's fascinating to me that, that uh, one of the strongest Greek words in the New Testament pointing to the divine nature of Christ is found right here in this passage. And I'm no, I'm no Greek major. Um, I have to say in my seminary studies that I opted out of the language portion of it, Greek and Hebrew. It was 96 credits or 90 credits. I, I took the 90 credits. And I thought, yeah, I can ride the coattails of Pastor Pat and so many others that are experts in the subject. So 
Um, so, I'm not a, so I'm not an expert in the Greek language, but I'm amazed by it. The word Godhead in verse 9 is expressing in the original language that our Heavenly Father can only be known by the revelation of himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. Vine put it this way. He said, Paul is declaring that in the Son there dwells all the fullness of the absolute Godhead. There were no mere rays of divine glory which gilded him. No lighting up of his person for a season with a splendor not his own, but he was and is absolute and perfect. And so for us to take these verses that we just read and and kind of process in our minds who he is and then who we are in him, it's just, I can't even get my mind around it. It's just amazing to me. I mean, I know it's true. I know it's true. You know it's true. And I hold on to it. I hold on to it for dear life. But it's still mind-boggling, still amazing. Paul beautifully declares who we are in Christ. And we're complete as we trust in him. We're complete as we trust him for salvation. We're complete as he comes into our heart, enters our lives by his Holy Spirit. Are we a finished work? No. Are we complete in knowledge and in wisdom and skills that he would have us go forth in? No. It means it's just the beginning. It's a lot like a, it's a, lot like a baby being born. When they're born, they're a complete body. They're a complete human being, but by no means are they ready to be completely knowledgeable or completely wise or completely skilled in anything. It takes nurture, and it takes growth, and it takes time for those things to happen. It's the, same, it's the same with our spiritual birth. As we're spiritually born, we're basically as a baby, human baby. It takes time. It takes time in God's Word. It takes prayer for God to build us up into what He desires for us to be, to keep us rooted in what He wants us to be. But the key is for us to stay abounding abiding, making sure we're staying established in what he has for us. The world and all of its isms, as I said earlier, and its, and its philosophies will, will try to tell us something different. There's a lot of really weird stuff out there, and it seems like on a daily basis there's even more weird stuff. I'm surprised. I'm like, I've never heard of that weird thing before. There's more of it. Where does it come from? It just swirls around. It's crazy. It's all over the place. How do you confront it? What do you do? In my college years, I, I took a, a speech class. It was a speech slash um, debate class. And I was always, and I took the class. Well, I needed to for my for my uh, for my. Um, degree program, but I also took it because I was deathly afraid of being around people and talking in front of people. Believe it or not, I'm actually very introverted. I really am. People are like, you're schizophrenic, man. You're, sometimes you're just out there doing stuff, and the other times you, you look like a hermit. I'm kind of both, oddly enough. But I took these classes, and it was, it was really good for me. I wanted to drop out, and I wanted to, I wanted to skate off and do something else, but I realized ah, I need to do it as part of my degree program. Plus, it'll be good for me to grow and learn some things, and not be so afraid and not sweat like 
crazy when I'm in front of people, things of that nature. I, the debate part was cool because I found I was pretty good at winning arguments. I mean, I could find ways to maneuver around what people were saying and boom, kidney punch them when they weren't ready for it. And I got to thinking, that's just, that's kind of weird actually. I, I don't like that I like that so much. So I, so I gravitated toward the speech part of it any our speech teacher said, hey, be creative. Be creative in class. And I'm not a creative person whatsoever. But I thought for one particular speech, we're in an auditorium of about 200 students, and for one particular speech, I thought to myself, hmm, I'm going to take the opposite side of what I actually believe about this subject. It was a very hot-button social issue of the day. Very hot-button social issue of the day. And I thought, hey, you know, just for my own growing and figuring things out, and I'm just going to take the complete opposite stand, completely opposite of what I actually believe and think. And uh, i got to tell you, as I was giving this speech, I thought, oh, this is pretty good. I'm you know, being creative. I'm going to get an A for creativity. But it was really scary because I started swaying people's opinions. It was really weird. At the end of the class, several people came, oh, man, you really, some of them in tears, you really changed my mind about that. And I was like, whoa, 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 it scared me. I was like, I got to tell you guys right now, I didn't mean any of it. (laughs) But it made me realize that the power of the word, the power of sounding convincing about something is just very deceptive. And I'm telling you, I was reeling people in. Back then, I was a little different person back then, but back then I was just reeling them in. I thought it was great until afterwards. I was like, oh, my goodness. It actually really scared me. And I promised myself I would never do anything like that again. Because of, as I, as I got to learn, because of the philosophies and the isms and things of this nature, somebody spends a lot of time being very creative, putting all those arguments and things together. And people can even confuse and frustrate and make us start believing certain things. And we just, that doesn't, how can that possibly be true? Best thing for us to do is to always fall back on God's word, always be rooted and grounded in that, regardless of what may come your way, regardless of what somebody may try to tell you, or you hear something on the radio, a coworker says, hey, well, what do you think about this? And you're like, hmm. That's kind of a, a slight razor-thin edge of truth to it, but the rest of it sounds kind of hokey. But they think, well, if it's got this, if it's got this, it must be good. Stick with God's word. The way Paul refuted what was going on in that day, he said, hey, here's what Christ is. Here's what you are in him. And we can just camp out on that and just stay there. How can anybody argue with that? This is what God's word says. We can leave it at that. I mean, I have to honestly tell you, I mean, as, as I said, I've had you know, a lot of schooling and such, as, as Pastor Pat has as well. But it doesn't mean that we're theological geniuses. I'm speaking for myself, but I'm going to speak for him too. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're theological geniuses. I mean, for me personally, I'm definitely not a theological genius, but I do know, I do know from personal experience that God is always faithful in every situation. And if I don't know anything else, I know that from our time in the mission field, from my time on staff at the church, from my current job, from the army chaplaincy and these kinds of things, Sometimes I have no idea what I'm doing or what's going on. I'm just kind of walking the path God has me on. I realize that he's given me everything that I need. I just need to step out in faith and trust him as I'm doing that. 
And then we begin to see that he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. He does all these amazing things right in front of us. And I say, and I say all that as an encouragement to you. I, I've experienced that in my personal life. I'm sure you've experienced that in your lives as well, where you just kind of, just enough light to take the next step, hoping it's not a, like a cliff or a, a rock or something to trip on as you're stepping out. But we can trust him. We can lean on him. We can rest on him. Rest in him, rather. Because he reminds us, again, in these verses, we're complete in him. Not a finished work. A lot to be done, or a lot to be done in my life. That's for sure. I can be the first to, I'll be the first to tell you that. I'm still learning how to be a husband. Even after 26 years, you say, 26 years, you're still learning how to be a husband? Yes. I'm still figuring it out. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. He is. <laughs> I'm still learning how to be a dad, even though all my children are adults and I'm going to be a grandpa. I'm like, wow. I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to trust in the Lord. I've done a lot of, had the opportunity to be called to a lot of amazing and really cool things, and God's blessed him, and it's been very, very fruitful. But I was just like, I'm just a complete idiot and a ding-dong that's just, I don't know what I'm doing. I just am trying to be faithful to what God calls me to. Now that I've given you all this personal information about me, just kidding. I don't mind sharing, because I assume we're a lot alike in some ways. The things we face are the things we face. Be encouraged in the fact that regardless of what you face, regardless of, of what you're doing, regardless of what God has called you to, be encouraged by the fact that you are complete in him. And he is abiding in you. Abide in him. Abide in him for your own, for your own personal life, but also for your marriage, your family, those you're reaching out to. Everybody watches a Christian life. People are watching our lives right now. What comes out of us when things start not to go so good? Hopefully it's something of the Lord. We're completely ready for the journey that God has for us when we receive Christ as our Savior. We're also reminded in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul again writes, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's that other word, complete. First, we're completely ready to go, and then he tells us, but then I'll complete the work in you also. So there's a couple of different things on kind of the timeline of our Christian walk. That's the amazing thing. We're already complete in him, but as we step out, he's promised to also complete the work that he started in us. Such a pleasure to spend time with you this morning. A lot of your old friends, old family from, from years back, many of you I don't know, and yet feel a real kinship to your church and to your families because of our relationship with the Verfurths and uh, dear folks, dear folks, we love them. I know you love them too. Absolutely love them. Continue to pray for them and their family. Hope to have the opportunity to come back and spend time with you again, Lord willing. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for 
the opportunity to spend time in your word this morning. Just the knowledge of the fact that we are complete in you gives us such a great peace, such a great hope. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for the truth of uh, who you are, that you desire for us to be complete. You don't desire for us to be in an incomplete condition or a fractured condition, but you want us to be whole, and for, that, for us that is so comforting, such a blessing, Lord. We love you so much, and as we head out into the new week next week, we pray that you'd go before us and, and keep the path straight for us, Lord. May we honor you in all that we do. And we pray that the VBS would be incredibly fruitful and that lives, little lives would come to know you as their Savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.